Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. So excited for today's episode with Nicole Rausch. Before we get into it, big shout out to the Eugene Marathon. I am training hard, baby. Cannot wait. Uh, I got, I'm averaging basically 50 miles a week over the last seven weeks or so. Uh, really excited for that. We're going to be bumping up to consistently hitting in the 60s over basically from this month moving forward. Uh, with a little caveat for a half marathon, I'm running in two weeks. So we're going to do a little mini taper for the half marathon and then right back into it. 60 mile weeks from here on out. I am so excited. Go check out eugenemarathon.com. This race is unbelievable. 29% of people who run qualify for Boston, which is nuts considering it's two weeks after Boston. It's May 1st, which means the people who qualified for Boston last year probably aren't coming back. They're running Boston and yet another roughly 30% of people will qualify for Boston again. That is a tremendous cycle of high-level runners competing on a high-level course at Tracktown, USA. This is just, it doesn't get better than this. And we're going to be doing a bunch of live shows as well. You don't have to run the marathon, though. They got the half marathon and the 5K as well. So go check out eugenemarathon.com for a wonderful experience and an incredible race. Now, Nicole Roush, I couldn't wait to talk to her. Nicole is doing some incredible work. In the fitness area, somebody who during the COVID times saw her online presence just go up exponentially. And she, as she mentioned, she went from like having three or 5,000 followers who were um, following her to get some advice on how to do at-home workouts with and without weights to all of a sudden during COVID when people couldn't go to gyms, all of a sudden she had like 80,000 followers. It was insane growth and I couldn't be happier for her. She is so nice, so kind, so generous with her time and just an awesome human being. And during this time, she set out to run her first marathon. As you'll hear, she has running in the blood. Her her mom was a dedicated, dedicated runner. Uh, and Nicole was running before, ran a couple, a couple half marathons, but didn't really catch the running bug until recently. And I couldn't wait to talk to her all about that experience. So let's get into it with Nicole Rush. All right, here we go. Nicole Rush is here on the pod. Nicole, welcome to the show. Woohoo! Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. First time marathon. You got it done. I'm so, first of all, congratulations. It was fun. It was fun watching from afar. Uh, thank you. It truly, I was not sure what to expect, which we will talk about all of that, but I still, a month and a half later, feel like I'm on a high from it. So thank you. It was wonderful. Oh, that is awesome. So Houston 2022? Houston 2022. It was like the 50th anniversary. So it just felt like a special time to, to get it done. I have run a couple of half marathons and I wanted something bigger to work towards. There you go. So, so what about, so why Houston? So you, I should, I should mention you do live in Texas. Um, so obviously you, the, the, the proximity is there. Of course, Texas is huge. It's not like it was necessarily in your backyard as someone who lives in Austin. So what about Houston made it a good fit for you? Right. So yes, I am in Austin. Houston's about two and a half hours away. I have run the Austin half. And anybody who is listening to this probably knows if they know anything about the Austin half, that it's very difficult. The hills are at around 11 and 12 and they're insanely steep. I did not want to run my first marathon knowing those hills existed because you're basically like you're running, running, and then the marathoners keep going and then the half marathoners get to turn off. Right. And that was like your final hurrah. I did not want to do that for my first marathon. And I started running with Rogue Running, uh, which is a running group here in Austin. And so many people said to do, if it's your first marathon, go to Houston. It's an amazing course, an amazing setup, just everything about it. They were like, that should be your first marathon. So took it around with it, literally. And it was great. The course was wonderful. It was cool to see a new city. I haven't spent all that much time in Houston. So it just felt like a fun way to see more of Texas and have a good, easy, no-hill <laughs> marathon under my belt for the first one. 
I love how you threw the easy in there. I'm sure yeah, the easy, easy was probably something, something you thought about before the race, maybe not after. Um, and it, shoot, and what a crowd Houston always brings, not in, in multiple ways, right? The crowd itself, the people who are lining the streets, you know, you, you begin and end in downtown. I was actually in Houston at the 2020 marathon. I was doing live shows at the expo when it was so much fun to be a part of it. It was just, it was such a great experience. Have you run it? I didn't. No, I actually was just down there. Like the, the, they had the, the marathon brought me down to do live shows. I did like one with Jared Ward. I think that was on Friday night. And then on Saturday night, it was with Molly Huddle and Alexi Pappas, all in kind of the expo main stage type thing. And it was just, it was an electric feeling, not only because, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest cities in America. There's so many people who are going to run, but also the elites that are there. It was a stacked field because this was Houston 2020. So if people remember, basically almost every single healthy contender for the marathon trials was there running the half because it was six weeks out from Atlanta. It was the perfect time to do it. They knew the weather was going to be, you know, low 40s, which is exactly what you want. You didn't know about the wind, but the temperature was going to be fine. And it was just such a stacked field. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh, like we might get like our first preview of what the trials will be like this weekend. And it was just such a great scene to say nothing of. There was also like that last ditch OTQ crowd because it was the last marathon before the deadline for the trial. So like the Peter Bromkas of the world who were like desperately trying to get their, their trials qualifying time were part of that scene too. So it was, it was a great scene. And this year with the 50th anniversary and last year not happening, I, I'd have to guess it must have been something similar. Yeah, it was the energy was amazing. Um, Sarah Hall was there. She did the half and had an incredible time. It like it was just a very, very cool experience. And I actually knew a handful of people running both the half and the marathon. So it felt personal, but also it was just really electric. Honestly, we were in Houston the whole weekend and I was just a constant theme of excitement and energy. So it was really cool. And then training with Rogue Running. I mean, that's like, I know it's an Austin-based um, company and at this point also like me, um, a media company as well. I know that they, that was not the intention of Rogue, but it's something that would like people across the United States know them. And Chris does such a great job with the podcast and it really is an electric scene. Talk to me a little about Rogue and what they bring to the table for someone like yourself and how they branch out in that community because it's something that from afar, it's so intriguing, but I wonder what it's like when it's just like your neighborhood place and what would they bring to the table for someone like you who's just so local for them. So Rogue is really cool because they have so many subgroups. So there's a group for anybody, any runner. So they have a couch to 5K. They really, they put you in the right group for your personality type, your expertise as a runner, your pace. Um, and there's plenty of different options. Like you can go Tuesday evening or maybe you're a Wednesday morning type of runner. And they pretty much their weekly meetup is, your speed workout so it's cool because it's like the hardest workout you have a coach who can tell you exactly what pace you should be running it's it's very specific to you but you also get to be with a group so it's it feels almost one-on-one even though you get the social aspect of being with a group and then the they do saturday long runs as well so if you're someone maybe you don't want you know the group during the week you can go to your long run and always have someone to run with if you're, you know, want to be with someone when it's dark out in the morning or whatever it is. You don't want a lonely 20 miles. <laughs> um, so it's cool because they'll pair you with somebody who has your mileage, your pace, the whole bit. So it's really nice because you really have some hand holding. But on the other, what is the phrase on the flip side of the coin or whatever that phrase is? On the other side of the coin? On the other side of the coin? I don't know. Isn't that a phrase? Yeah, I feel like it is. I feel like it is. Yeah. I don't know. People are yelling at us right now like, it's this. <laughs> but the, they are also... I, I'm, I'm used to it. Whether yeah. it's in my face or from afar is, is a concept I'm very familiar with. Perfect. I, I was doing that on my Instagram story. Side note, I had a drawstring on my sweatshirt. And I'm like, I don't know what this is called, but it has this. And everybody in my DMs is like, it's a drawstring. <laughs> I'm like, that's like me when I listen to a podcast. But anyway, back to Rogue. They also do not let you be a sissy. They push you. It's not for the faint of heart. 
This is the part I wanted to get to. Absolutely. So describe this for me, because that's something that like it's easy to understand if you have like a a small group setting or a one-on-one coach and you're familiar with the coaching stuff. We're going to definitely get into that later, but it's, it's harder as a larger group situation in terms of really cultivating that kind of culture, especially a top down, like we don't take that kind of nonsense around here type feel to it. Yeah. You, if I had an excuse and like presented that to my coach, he would laugh in my face or she like you, there's no excuses. You either show up and get it done. Or if you don't go that week, you mind your own business and it is what it is. But they are like a true grit type of running group. But it seems intimidating, but then you meet the people and they're so kind and they only want the best for you. So it's a very interesting dynamic, but it works for anyone training or trying to better themselves because that's the, that's the whole goal of Rogue. You go and you want to leave practice a better version of yourself than you were when you went in, whether that's with your run or just mentally yeah, that, that's what it is, I guess. I don't know. But there. I love that. I love that. Cause you're right. Because you do. You, it's easy to hear the anecdote you just shared and immediately go to like, oh, I wonder if it's like kind of like this cold, like up from your bootstraps. You know, we keep you at arm distance type feel because that would be very like, you know, that, that would kind of that, that would kind of mesh well in terms of like a brand aesthetic. Right? right. It's like this is how we handle it as opposed to like it almost sounds like more familial. Like, yeah. We love you. We love you. We care for you, but we're also not going to take your BS type feel to it. It totally, yeah. It's like your big brother telling you, like, absolutely not cut the crap. Like, this is what we're doing. But yeah, it's been an incredible experience working with them. I, I am the type of person which this is one of these excuses that they just don't care for. But I am the type that I run for myself and for therapy in a sense, which I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times. But I prefer to run by myself. And that's like where I find my joy in running. So I don't usually go to the group runs. I I prefer the one-on-one, like, let's chat about what I'm going to do and then I'm going to get it done. And I think for me, I'm very disciplined. So I'm able to go that route and still progress. But if I didn't have the discipline, I think it would be very beneficial for me. Because even I went to the group for a couple of months and I learned so much, like so much just from going to the group. So there's all like the running terms like fartlek and like what I, like literally all these things. I'm like, what is that? And then we did it, and so it's nice to go and learn it by doing it versus just hearing someone say it and trying to figure it out. Absolutely, we should say you're a certified personal trainer. You you basically make a living in helping people become more fit, and and it's so it's not like this sort of genre is, you know that far field from not only your background, but your just your day to day. So besides just like the lingo of like, here's what these workouts are called, which like you knew what a fart lick was, you might not know like the goofy, the goofy word for it, but like you're familiar with interval training and things like that. Besides the the jargon, what were some of the things that you learned during your marathon build um, that you maybe were other either unaware of, or maybe discounted the importance of them going into it? Yeah. So first I really learned the hard way that you're not supposed to run as fast as you can for your training runs. I, I would go out for my runs. Like and this is in the past when I've done my own half marathon training, I would just run and try to get the fastest mile that I could, even for my long runs. I had no idea that you're supposed to go. What is it? They say like a minute to a minute and a half shorter than your goal pace. For marathon training, at least. It, well, I, I think everything really depends on like, it, it, it depends on how rooted in reality your goal pace may be. But yeah, I think there there are there are some, some metrics people use for that. Right. And I'm sure everybody has, you know, a little bit of a different way of calculating that and whatever. But I learned that the hard way. You just don't, you don't need to go as hard as possible for every run. And now that I know that, I think my running has been much more enjoyable because I've been having a slow build and I feel great. So that was one of them. Another is the recovery runs. I have never done a recovery run before until this training cycle. The short little three that should feel like a rest and a recovery. uh, That was huge for me during this training. 
I'm trying to think of what else. Of course, I think of these things every day. And then when you ask the question, I'm blank. No, I hear you. This is like this is like when someone's like, hey, where do you want to go out to eat? And all of a sudden you forget every single restaurant in a 10 mile radius. Yeah, exactly. Story of my life. <laughs> well, let, let, let me see if I could prompt you then. Um, I know for a lot of people, especially for a first time marathoner, especially if they're coming from a spot where it's not like they've been running like dozens and dozens of half marathons. Maybe they haven't run a marathon, but they typically do 90 minutes to two hour run on the weekend. So maybe it's an easier transition for maybe for someone who isn't coming from that perspective, which is like just about everybody is not coming from that perspective. Um, what was it like for you racking up a lot of those like two to two and a half hour runs and, you know, your ability to to handle those in conjunction with being someone who is out there and, and helping people uh, become stronger and more fit literally every single day with what you're putting out from, from in, in terms of your fitness videos? That was, that was a struggle for me to figure out the balance there. I do workout programming and post um, workouts on Instagram, as you were saying. And I am very big on just because maybe I can construct a good workout in my head and then film the videos for it. I, I refuse to be that person. I need to actually test the workout, make sure it was good. Like I'm not going to post that workout unless I have done it myself and can stand behind. Right. You're a pro. You're, you're, right. you're a pro at this. You're not just messing around. No, but yes, I, I, I do want my work to be quality and I, I would never want to put something out there that I hadn't figured out myself. So that was a struggle. I learned a lot of different recovery methods like stretching, using the percussion gun. I went to physical therapy, the chiropractor. And throughout all of this, I'm like, okay, this, your schedule really, really, you have to be organized and you have to plan ahead. And you need to figure out where like, okay, I'm going to do lower body on Monday or Tuesday because my legs need to be prepared by Saturday. And I think with doing all of this, I, it did help me become a stronger runner. The fact that I took the time to figure out how to continue with strength training and running. I think that's what really honestly helped me through those longer runs. And I mean, those are a doozy. I, I am lucky that my fiance got on his bike and he went every single long run with me. On oh, the bike. yeah. I, so you not I'm only did you grateful. have, not only do you have like some entertainment, but was he like your pack mule as well? Was he carrying like the, the water and the goose and all that? Big water, gel, chapstick, my body glide. He had, he had it all. So then finally when I was at the marathon, I was like, oh my gosh, I should have practiced having all of my goo and my gels in my belt because I didn't because he had been there <laughs> with me the whole time. So that was the one struggle. I was I was a little overpacked in my belt for the race, but yeah, those. I think I'm a unique case here, though, because I was truly so excited to run my 16, 18, 20 mile runs and just get them under my belt. That I, it wasn't like this crazy shift for me to have to do that. And I think I, I am lucky to have a flexible schedule where I could prioritize the recovery, the strength, and all of that. So I feel like I don't really have a very exciting answer for this big shift in what I learned, I guess. But I will say I think the, the work in the front end of being organized and, and making sure everything added up with strength training and being strategic with my schedule, I think that was a huge help. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's also a good sign for your just your overall strength as an athlete that those longer runs weren't like too draining, right? Because that mm -hmm. was like, you know, like for me, like I took such a such time off from marathons. For me personally, like I trained for CIM this year, that I had a truncated buildup, and like I didn't have the strength in my legs to handle it. Like I, and I was pretty fit. Like if I'd run a half marathon that day, people listening to the podcast, like, come on, we've heard the story a million times, but like, if I'd run a half marathon that day, I, I feel like I want to run really well. I didn't have the strength in my legs though. But I, so I wonder if some of your strength routines that you do, you know, so regularly helped you in ways that, um, weren't, went beyond the running side to, to kind of really prompt your body, be like, okay, you know, we can be out here for two and a half hours. And it's not, it's not necessarily like, you know, that big of a deal just from a, you know, structural standpoint. Right. Well, and something that Chris, that was my running coach from Rogue Running, he had to really push me and teach me to hydrate and 
fuel during my run. This is where I was going to go next. Yeah, let's dive into this part because I know for first-time marathoners, this 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 whole part can be a struggle. Not only like wrapping their head around it, but also the trial and error that comes with marathon fueling. Oh my gosh, it's exhausting. The amount of people in my DMs that are like, "Hey, I have a run tomorrow or a race tomorrow. I'm running a half or a full." what do you recommend I eat during the run? And I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) do not do anything different. I cannot tell you. I'm like, it's too late. (laughs) But yeah, I, for the longest time, I, when I started running with Rogue, I would go to the group and I had a different coach, um, uh, coach Brent. He's with the killer bees, I think is his team name, but he, he saw me show up to practice and he's like, where's your water bottle? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't need a water bottle. It's in the car waiting for me. And he's like, no, you need a water bottle, a, ha- a handheld to run. And, and I was like, no, I, I will not. I won't feel good. I'll have cramps. I can't run. And he's like, okay, I will let you run with us today. But next week, you better have your water bottle. And that was kind of a wake up call for me. I'm like, oh, like this is serious. And of course, here in Texas, you know, the practices are Sometimes you have a hundred degree weather, so it's very important and it's just as important in the colder weather, but I really struggled with that. So I slowly started with hydrating and running, and then I had to really have Chris push me to start fueling because I'm somebody who does not like to run with food in my stomach. I feel unwell. Um, I get cramped badly. So I had to train myself to be able to drink water while I was running and to be able to have gel. And I think the other thing with nutrition while you're running, it really is trial and error because some stuff just isn't going to work for you. And I had, I've had gels in the past that made my stomach hurt. I cramped. And so because of that, I was afraid to ever have anything else. And there's so many, so many different things that you can buy that will react differently for you. So definitely a matter of trial and error. And I finally figured that out. And knowing full well that like just because it worked for you might doesn't mean it's going to work for anyone who's listening. I am curious. What, what did you find that did work for you uh, from a gel or, or nutrition perspective? So I use Morton gels. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, but I don't know. So, I don't know if anyone knows how to say it. So I'm just going to go with them to say yes. Yeah. So they I liked the gels because first the taste is have you ever had them i haven't no okay the taste is they're sweet but it doesn't have a flavor at all and i'm not i'm not a flavor gal like if i get the wrong flavor it'll really stick with me and i'll be able to taste it the whole run it's like kind of like a mental thing for me so um they're also when you tear it apart it doesn't spill over at all so it's not messy or sticky which is another thing for me and you almost have to, it's, it's not a chew, but you almost have to like bite into it Oh. or you could like slurp it, I guess. I don't know. It's like a thicker consistency. Okay. Hopefully I'm just, it, you'll have to try one now and you'll see what I mean. But, I will have to see, I, I, I've used goo. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's always worked for me, but I always laugh. Like I'm like such a, I, I have always been and continue and I remain such like a candy addict that I'm convinced now that I could use any of these things and my body be like, this is just business as usual for Matt. Like this is no big deal. See, that's crazy though. Cause I'm also a candy gal and I oh. can have the sweetest stuff. Yeah. And I don't know. So it actually is goo specifically that I do not like because I feel like it tears, it spills over. The flavors are too much for me. It doesn't, it gives me cramps and it's amazing how just like literally one shift, and there you go. If if one person were to ask both of us what to have, they would be so confused. But it goes to show you need to do trial and error. Same with shoes. People ask me all the time. That's a whole other topic. But That's a good point. So you have to figure out what works for you. And that was the same thing with uh, what to eat before a run. I never would eat before a run. And that makes me sick right now to even consider going for a run without eating. Because now that I've trained my body... I can't imagine not having a meal before I head out on a, on a run and more specifically a long run. Um, but yeah, I, anything like oatmeal, bread, or not just bread, but like toast with peanut butter. Uh, it, it took time, but I figured it out. That's so true. And, and you know, it's like fasted, fasted running isn't great for anybody. 
there are some male pros that they use it as part of their training occasionally as a way of trying to like speed up their fat adaptation and who it feels more biohacky than actual results driven but it's like it, there there are so many studies that say like fasted running for females is just a recipe for disaster it really messes like you could just it does it does all negative things for the hormones and it's just like it just it needs to be avoided at all costs and it's hard because right cuz some people's tummies just like they're they're more finicky and it's it's you know it's like it can be so easy for someone to be like I just don't want to deal with this I'm just gonna like not have anything I, I don't want to do trial and error anymore and it's like of course you can be empathetic to that point of view because no one likes no one likes that experience of when your tummy is is not agreeable on the run and you don't know where to like where to go and and it, it can be a sticky situation in more ways than one but yeah. again you really got to figure it out because your life will be better once you do. Yeah. And I, I do think that nothing will compare to trying something and then actually going for a run. But if you're really worried about it, like try it before another type of workout. Or like when I first got the Morton gels, I had one like on my way home from the running store to see how it felt just like normally having one. And I knew, okay, it fits well with me normally. Now let's try it once I'm running. So there's other ways that you can kind of like test it first to make sure it's not going to be horrible. And of course, once you're running, it's a, a bit different, quite a bit different, but at least you know that it worked well for you just as is. So I don't know if that's helpful at all, but um, I did see a girl running with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Hey, hey, there you go. See, straight from the ultra running playbook right there. I was like, that is intense. Have you ever eaten something on a run? I have eaten real food on the run. Usually it's oh, because... It's not my first choice, but it's been more like I'm not going to do this fasted and I forgot to go to get the goose, right? Like you thought you had more of the closet. You didn't. All of a sudden you're like bone dry on goo and you're like, all right, well, like, like you said, no excuses. You got to go for your run. Well, there's no goo in the closet. So what does that mean? So all of a sudden, like you're just playing like, you know, like the snack version of Russian roulette with your with your GI system and you're like trying to figure out like, all right, what's going to work here? What's not going to work here? And um, what's going to be able to like stay in these pockets and these pouches, right? Or like, do I just like do a three mile loop and just keep coming back to my car and picking things up? So I've done all sorts of like granola bars and stuff like that, which was like the obvious choice. And maybe some things I've, I've done the bread move. Um, my son loves these. I'll tell you, this, is not, this wasn't the worst choice. My son loves these like little packaged like chocolate crepes that you can get at like our local grocery store. So it's like they're very, very thin and they have like a spread of chocolate on the inside. They're all rolled up and they're individually packaged. He loves these suckers. So like I grabbed a few of those, like they worked out pretty good. They were like quick energy with little chocolate in them. They weren't the worst, but I definitely didn't go full ultra running of like, all right, I'm going to have like, I'm going to dunk watermelon and salt at the aid station and have a slice of pizza and then off I go. See, these are the things that I'm still learning about too with the ultra runners. I'm like, there is like, the the running world, I just have put my little toes in, you know, I am still learning so much. And it just blows my mind, the things that people will do. But at the same time, it's like you do it for what you love. And this girl with her peanut butter and jelly, I salute her. I, I'm like, how did you keep how is it intact? Where did she keep it? You know? Also, let's talk about the construction of that sandwich, right? Because we've all made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. If they didn't sit quite right, that jelly becomes problematic. Yeah, it does. I, I worry for her clothes and just for everything involved. She needed right. a, they, they, it, go, it goes through the bread. Like you, Sometimes yeah. you have to do like thin layer peanut butter. And I Again, this is not peanut like butter, my... Peanut butter, peanut butter. Peanut butter, peanut butter, jelly in between. But that also yeah. is risky because that that jelly can slide right out the back if you do that because it's not like anchored down by the bread. There's a lot of factors to consider. We need we lot. need some audience <laughs> some audience help on the on the proper peanut butter and jelly construction. Uh, maybe I should test this out on a little uh, three miler. I'll bring my sandwich with me. I'll pack it in for two miles, and then I'll eat it on the way home. So if we have there any issues, <laughs> we'll this be, is it. This we'll is what we, we this go. is like. This can be like the next like. You know, you, you just be like take a page out like the Nick Simmons YouTube videos yeah. where he always has like a go. theme. Yeah, I was going to say we can do a little YouTube series. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Yeah, I love that. All right. 
So let's talk about like your 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 first your first entree in running. It was it were, you posted this on Instagram and it like brought back like vivid flashbacks of my own. And it was you in the car with your mom like prior to her runs. Walk us through this because there's 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 an era of people who will never have to do this or never went through this experience. But I was there with my dad doing the exact same thing. So I, I can't wait for you to 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 walk us through this. My, so growing up, it was my brother and I, and we were, him and I are two years apart, but we're like a grade apart in school. So we were always very close and we were both, he was a mama's boy. I was a mama's girl. And we would just growing up, it was like her race training. We would go on the jogger. We'd be in the car to do the miles. And basically she would have to map her route and she didn't have the fancy, the app or the computer. Well, she probably could have done it on the computer, but I'm sure it was way more difficult back then. Uh, And to put it in perspective, I'm 27, and this was, how old would I have been? Maybe five, six, seven, probably before I was So about 20 years ago. Like 20-ish years ago, yeah. That sounds about right. Um, Yeah, yeah, MapQuest was awful back then. MapQuest was not not what you were wanting to do. Yeah, it was bad enough when I started using MapQuest, so I'm sure. Anyway. We, she would say, okay, who wants to go for a car ride? And we'd get in the car with her and she'd do the little, she had an Outback Subaru and she'd do the little button to reset the miles and we'd drive around. And I, I don't think at the time I really understood what the point was. Like I thought maybe she wanted to see where she was running or whatever. I didn't understand so much that she had to hit however many miles, but yeah, we'd get in the car and she'd drive around. And then sometimes we would start over because she wanted to do something different. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, that was that was a, that was a central tenet because like you were like, oh, wait, yeah. this loop's not going to work. There was no sidewalk here. Uh oh, we got to go yeah. back to the starting point. Yeah, which is so so wild to me, and that it's crazy to me that I have such vivid memories of doing that. Uh, and then the next morning, we would be in the jogger with her. So I guess this was when we were a little bit younger that we would go in the jogger because uh, I don't think we would have at seven and nine. We probably would have been a little bit too big to push in the running jogger, <laughs> but. Um, so were you doing like bottle drop off too on the car ride around? Because we would do like that the night before. We would be oh, Matt, no. and then it was like Matt scurry in behind that tree and drop a water bottle back there so I can pick it up. Well, do you know what I will tell you is that I get my habits from running from my mother, and she also every run she ever went out on went as hard as she could. She never drank water during her runs. She never had fuel or anything. And this woman. She was fast. She ran Boston. She she would get paid to run races. Uh, and she did not fuel during her runs. So I totally get my... Oh my God. Yeah, I get that from her. Uh, and she says it now. She's like, I can't believe I didn't know all of this stuff when I was training. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Big eye roll because she was still so good at what she did. But, yeah, we did not drop off water bottles or anything for her. Well, I'm trying to think, like, what would she even be using? Because, like, back then, there were no handhelds. Like, if you were going to carry a water bottle, you were literally carrying a water bottle. There was no, like, cool handhelds. Like, I think goo was, like, in its real infancy back then. Like, I think it was – or no, it was power bars. It was, like, the brick power bars were, like, if it dropped below 40 degrees, it was, like, you'd break your front tooth if you tried to eat it. Like, it was just bad news. Yeah. She she was not, like, big into – she – Growing up, I remember her telling me this story. She ran track in high school and her parents did not buy her. They bought her one pair of shoes and that's what she ran in her whole high school career. And I'm like, your poor feet. Oh my God. I was like, grandma and grandpa could have seriously injured you (laughs) by not getting you new shoes. But she was just so practical. Like any of the extra stuff, it was not in her mind at all. So that's like the, that's, I just remember being in the car, doing the miles and then sitting in the jogger at whatever stage in life that actually was. I'm not sure, but we'd have our little high C and the animal cookies so that we could eat them. But she didn't ever (laughs) have anything while she was running. I'm shocked you didn't just reach down and grab a handful of those suckers. I, I, like, I know. It must have been like, it must have just been, been a principle. Like, if you're hungry and thirsty, and there's like two little kids there with like exactly what you need in their hands. I'm like, woman, here, take it. Now that I think <laughs> right. about that, though, it makes me, I'm like, were you okay? You crazy? <laughs> right. And she's pushing kids. She's not, she's not just running dry. She's pushing humans doing it. 
Yeah. She, my mom, and that's like all of my credit goes to her. I just like, I look up to her in so many ways with running and she actually, she can't run now. She um, has some knee issues and it breaks my heart, but she, she came from Michigan to Houston to see me run. And she ran when she saw me, she was running with me along the route. And like, I just oh, was, man. I was like emotional trying not to cry. Cause I, I think it was like mile 23. And I was like, okay, I can't lose my steam now because once I start crying, the breathing gets harder and yeah, but she's incredible. Oh my goodness. All right. So running was a part of your life from basically your first memories. Like if we're talking about you being pushed in a stroller, like this is like some of the first memories that you should, that you could have had. Um, so with that being the case, how did you end up gravitating at least, you know, earlier on in your life and especially as a professional more towards like the strength and fitness side of your athletic pursuits as opposed to going full-fledged running, kind of following like directly in her footsteps, so to speak? So I actually, I hated running. I thought, you know, I respected the people who did it, but I personally, my lungs were on fire. If I tried to run a mile, I was not into it. So I think I played every single sport growing up. I tried soccer, volleyball, tennis, diving, gymnastics. I I really tried it all and I was not. Diving, that's a hard sport to try. Mm-hmm. I feel like well, that's like, I, it's like, it's like you got to be pretty good, like pretty early on to really enjoy it. Yeah, you can't just dive right in and expect it to be, you know, all fun and games. But yeah, I, I, I did gymnastics growing up, and because of that, I would, and I was not good at gymnastics, but I think that background helped with the diving. And diving, I actually um, was pleasantly surprised with myself. I, I, I was a volleyball player and tennis player; those were like my two core sports. And then I had mono the summer leading up leading up to my sophomore year. And that was like, when you tried out for volleyball, this is in high school and you either like made varsity or you were still on JV. And I couldn't practice that whole summer. And so I couldn't try out. Um, and then the diving team, my, uh, lifeguard from my pool growing up in the summertime, the lifeguard was the coach on the diving team. And he's like, Hey, why don't you just try diving? So I tried it and I actually really enjoyed it. But it was actually diving that um, I I went in for a double and you go in head first. And I think I psyched myself out. So I immediately shot my head back up and basically hyperextended my back to come back up out of water where you're supposed to go down, do a somersault, come back up, hurt my back. And ironically, at diving practice, the only thing that I could help do to loosen my back was go for a run. So I would run around to try to loosen up my back. Um but before we get into that part, I, I think my fitness and my love for strength training and wanting to help others was like when I think back on my life and what I enjoyed, it was always sports practice. Um, and I just I have a lot of gratitude for all that the human body can do. And I just don't see why you wouldn't take advantage of it and celebrate your body And I've just always felt that way. And so I was like, how do I make this something, you know, maybe a career or, you know, I started my Instagram just for fun. I, I really kind of fell into the fitness space on Instagram. And that's kind of when I decided, okay, like, let's make a career out of this and take it more seriously. So it was kind of cumulative over time. And then once COVID hit, actually, I had the knowledge to create home workouts. And I'm like, I'm going to put out home workouts because people are going to need it. And that's when my account kind of took off and I was able to that's, start that's when I found you with that exact same yeah. time period. Yeah. Yep. So my account just, I think I had 5,000 followers going in um, when COVID hit and now I have around 70. So it's crazy. What a little a lot. It's break a lot. in the world could do. <laughs> How has that affected your ability to put out the content like did you do you feel more pressure now that you know more eyeballs are on it than you did in the beginning when it was just like hey this is fun and exciting but there was kind of like there were there weren't a lot of stakes right like and i've had a similar path with the podcast right in the beginning it was like this is just a hobby and if no one listens that's fine because i really don't care if anyone listens this is more for me whereas now it's like my profession again i still love it i love it more than i did then but i i'm aware of 
the stakes involved a little bit more. Again, there's no right. like it's, it's a it's a running podcast. I'm not going to act like I'm like this isn't world peace here. But there, but it's something that I am aware of. How has that affected you in recent years as this has become a more central part of your life? Yeah, yeah, it's actually affected me a lot because you know once all eyes are on you, and by all eyes I mean just a larger chunk. People have a lot to say. People are not always kind. Um, people like to point out what's wrong instead of what's right and good. So mentally it's taken its toll and I actually just recently have taken a break from Instagram and I started my running account, which like how you were saying, like you start the podcast for fun. You don't care if people are listening. And that's kind of what my running account has become for me because now I'm like, you know, running is more of a thing for me. Let's do this for fun. But yeah, it it does change because you want to, I'm like fact checking myself before I post, I'm making sure, okay, what's going on in the world today? Do I need to acknowledge something of those sorts before I post about my morning coffee? You know, there's there's just like more things I consider before posting. Whereas, you know, when I first started my account, I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to do this at-home workout. I'll film it and the quality is horrible, but I'm going to post it. But it's interesting because people relate more with that type of content because it, it feels like they could do it too. It feels like, oh, I have a mess in the corner of my living room also, or, you know, so like the more curated stuff I'm, I'm coming to learn, it's just not as relatable. Uh, but it's hard because, you know, you want to progress your business and have high quality stuff, but then at the same time you want to be relatable. Um, and then of course, with more eyes, it's like more pressure to make sure you're putting out correct information, putting out a workout that's attainable for people, uh, that's not going to overwork one certain muscle group or, you know, there, there is a little bit more pressure. And so it just, it, you just think twice maybe is what I should say to put a bow on it. I think twice now about what I'm posting and what kind of content I'm putting out. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing always. It seems like also it's a privilege, right? Cause like you have this, yeah. you have, you have this awesome, you know, thing that you're doing. Obviously there's the, with, with the heightened exposure, maybe you also get the heightened uh, responsibility that comes with it, which can be tricky sometimes of like, wait, wait, what do I have to do now? Um, and you know, (laughs) that that can be tricky for sure. Um, but I can also see why it's nice to like, you know, take a break sometimes. And it's also interesting when you see some people who have that kind of, um, you know, something gets, something becomes pretty popular and they're able to take advantage of it. And there's wind behind those sales. And then you also see like those like one degree, two degree pivots that come off of it. And you never know how those will work out. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And, and it is interesting to see when that sort of thing happens to see which stuff kind of gains traction as you go that trial and error route, either because you want to try something new or you're, you know, kind of purposeful in, in figuring out kind of what's next and what, what could be uh, a nice fit for not only you, but maybe for some of your audience. Right. And that's the thing too, is I'm evolving constantly. And so is everybody else. And it's hard because I, I have such a specific niche on Instagram of people who like my specific workouts. And then I started to race train. So I'm not able to put out, you know, I'm still putting out workouts, but maybe not one every day. I am talking more about my long runs. I'm talking about things running related. And you have this group of people that are like, I do not care about her run. (laughs) Like, I do not care. But then you have people who are so invested and want to know everything. What did you wear? What, what's this? Like, so that's why I kind of pivoted to have a separate account that like, Hey, if you have running questions, meet me over here because this account is fitness. This one's maybe a little bit more niched to running specifically, which is still fitness, of course. But yeah, it's just, it is such a privilege back to what you were saying, because I feel very grateful that that's a part of my job and that I'm able to market my business through Instagram. But at the same time, it is, it's just kind of crazy social media and all of it. When you really think about it, it's just kind of wild. It is crazy. So you ran 331 at Houston, which is a remarkable time um, for anybody, never mind a first time marathoner. So congratulations. That is absolutely phenomenal. So is the plan to continue, see where this goes, or are you just going to branch off every year, a new, a new endurance fitness challenge. You can get a corresponding new Instagram account that goes with it. Maybe we'll we'll do some rowing, some biking, you know what I mean? We'll do, 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 do it all. Yeah, you know, we'll see how many Instagrams I have in 10 years. But 
<laughs> no, I think for sure now that I, so my goal, my original goal for this marathon was to just finish feeling strong and feeling good. So we had my pace, my goal pace was 840 and that's what we trained for. Uh, I did have a minor injury at the, maybe like the last quarter of my training. I thought I had a hip flexor issue. It was actually my adductor is just really tight and I was not able to get in there to stretch it properly. Uh, and that kind of pivoted, like I couldn't do one of my long runs. I had to, you know, run a little less throughout the week. So my coach, Chris, he's like, we're going to, we're going to keep you at that 840 pace. And this is what your goal is going to be. And we're going to be, we're not going to try to push much further past that because I don't want you to further your injury. I want you to feel good. Our goal was just to feel good. Uh, I I remember having my strategy call with him and I was like, what do you think if I try to do this in three hours and 30 minutes? He was like, absolutely not. He was like, we cannot shave your time by 40 seconds for every mile. And, and I appreciate this because he pushed me in every single way that he possibly could throughout my training. But the fact that he cared enough to make sure that I was safe and not overdoing it uh, meant a lot to me. But, you know, I, I got into the race and I felt so good. And I knew I, I, based on my half marathon time, I knew I could do it. Um, right, let's talk about that. I, let's talk about why you, why you targeted eight minute pace and why you thought that was potentially a good fit. Well, let me, this is a little embarrassing. I, in my mind, at three thirty, for whatever reason, I had it in my head that it was eight thirty pace, but it's an oh, eight minute pace. Right. I don't know. I don't know where I had that in my head or why, because of course, like when you do the math, it doesn't add up, but that was in my head. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, a 10 second difference is not much. But then, then I realized I was like, oh my gosh, that's an eight minute pace. So, and for my, um, I'm trying to think of what my half marathon pace is. I finished my half in a, an hour and 41 minutes. So whatever that pace, seven. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's, that's basically like 745 pace. Okay. So I just, I had a feeling that I needed to go for it. And I just felt so happy and excited during the run that I went for it. I did hit a wall around 17 to, to 20, but um, I left that race feeling incredible. I felt better the day, the days after my marathon than I did after my half marathon. What a testament to your training. That That is a remarkable statement. And the nutrition you're able to – obviously, you, you have great training, but if you don't fuel during a race, you're going to feel like crap afterwards, um, no matter how well you, 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 you train. So what kind of mileage were you doing in, like, the two to three months building up to Houston? Mm-hmm. So I, I ran a 20-mile long run three separate times, um, and that was obviously, like, the month leading up. I, I did – a 18 mile run, a 16 miler. And then I think my taper started at 14. So I went from a 20 mile. I think it was like right before Christmas was my last long run. Or I think it would have been Christmas Eve because Christmas Eve was a Saturday. Is that correct? Oh man, I don't know. I'm not sure. What, it doesn't matter. <laughs> With, if school's not in session, I completely lose track of days. Yeah, week. I'm not. Yeah, I don't blame you. So yeah, I, I think the. The 20 mile runs, I think I was going to actually run up to 22, which is not normal, is it? To go past 20? Um, I would say the vast majority of people would not be doing that kind of weekend mileage um, at your pace unless they've been doing marathon cycles kind of stacked one after another. I think I say by your pace, not that's not a shot at anyone running your pace. It's more oh, of like course. if you were an elite athlete, 20 miles doesn't take as long as someone who's a dedicated amateur runner, right? So if you're someone who runs six-minute pace for a marathon and you're out there doing seven-minute pace for your training runs, well, then your 20-miler, again, so a seven-minute pace for a marathon is 304. Yeah. So for your 20-miler, we're talking like two hours and 20 minutes, two hours and 15 minutes. So that's a very doable time-on-feet thing, whereas for someone like you, a 20-mile run, we might be pushing into the three hours, and that's a very different experience. And I think the goal there was to practice running for the amount of time that I would be racing to mentally prepare. And that comes into, you know, taking the slower pace so that I'm running for that amount of time, even though 
I'll be able to run the full 26 within, you know, three and a half or three hours and 40 minutes. And I think that we had, we had those long runs planned as kind of, you know, tentative because he didn't know how my training was going to go. He wasn't sure how much I'd keep up if I were to have an injury, uh, travel, whatever it was. So I think it, I think they were in place to mentally prepare. I had four planned to do 20 miles and one of them was between 20 and 22. And that was my injury that, you know, we decided to take that extra long run out. But I, and I've had mixed reviews. Some people are like, I can't believe you did that. Or some people are like, oh, that's normal. For me, I am very grateful because I, I truly felt so prepared for the race. And there's people like, oh, what did you learn? And what did you take away from it? And I'm like, truly, I just felt so prepared. And I feel so grateful because I truly owe it all to Chris. This is a great point because like, again, there is no, there are certainly rights and wrong ways. So I don't want to say like everything could work and you know, the, every, every possible training plan w- could, could work for somebody. I'm mean, obviously that would be a little too pie in the sky, but at the same time, there are, there are definitely certain wide variances for certain people, right? Like if I had done in the fall, your training plan, I wouldn't have made it to race day. I just wouldn't have. I would I would have fallen apart. I just wasn't strong enough. I had injuries and upon injuries upon injuries for a bunch of years in a row. I wasn't strong enough to handle that kind of mileage. Obviously you were. So kudos to you for having that kind of plan. And I think that's that's the kind of thing that people have to remember too, is and, and you know this well, is that especially as a CPT, like what you've done in the past is a critical context for what you want to do even in the short term, like none of this stuff is siloed from, from other things that you've done. And if you try to silo it, it can really lead to some deleterious effects. Yeah, totally. And I, I think too, that was something that Chris had said. I asked him, you know, I've only run 20 miles mentally. How do I prepare to run that extra 10 K? And he, he said, you have to remember how strong you are as an athlete and as a personal trainer as someone who does strength workouts do not leave that aside just because this is a run and not a workout you you've done the work and you are strong enough to to carry through for that last 6.2 miles and that was just like I was like oh my gosh how how would I have not even thought of this before because of course there's a million thoughts running through your mind you're about to run a marathon and just him saying something so simple it's you know it's very true and I think about when I ran my first, I actually was supposed to run a marathon in Detroit a couple of years ago and I injured, I had an injury in my knee. So I ran the half instead and it was, it was horrible. I felt terrible, but I was not doing any strength. I was only running like I was not doing anything to help support my running. And it just goes to show how much, you know, all of the extra stuff really does help. So, yeah. And I, not to, you did ask another question that I'm trying not to ignore, but we took this and ran with it, but about what the plans are next. So I didn't want you to think I forgot. That's right. I forgot about that question. Yeah. All right, keep it going. <laughs> um, so next, I, I really, really want the Boston qualifier. I, like, I think I can do it if I could, without trying, be a minute and a half away, minute and 22 away. Um, so I'm going to try to qualify in October. October 1st, I'm actually going to go to Michigan, my route. There's the Sleeping Bear Marathon, which is up north. And it's very flat, just like Houston. I feel like I'm cheating by doing the flat races. No, <laughs> but no way, dude. No way. Okay. Marathon is a marathon is a marathon. That's true. Uh, that's my plan. And I, I plan to work with Chris again and hopefully qualify for, for 2023. Well, that's exciting. Well, you know, if you're if you stay healthy and obviously knock on wood and there's no reason to assume that you won't um, with the 331 first one and plenty of time to train, obviously all roads point to to improving that time. Um, One last question before we get out of here. You've been so generous with your time and this has just been so much fun talking to you. Let's talk about the strength, the strength training stuff. Okay, this has been a staple of your life for a long time. All of a sudden, you're putting in as you as you demonstrated here some very serious miles, right? Maybe more miles than a lot of people who are listening to this did. And you did this as a first time marathoner. So 
how did you incorporate the strength training and how did that either meet your expectations or what you thought it would be maybe prior to those two or three critical months of training? Yes. So I worked, luckily I had, you know, Chris's professional opinion as well, but I had a three day per week split of lower body, upper body and full body. And I would do, I, I needed for sure to have two rest days. That was important to me. So I would double up my speed workout on Tuesdays. I would do lower body after or later that day because the, the run was most important, right? To have my energy for my run. And then I would lift lower body. So I kind of got like the two hardest on the legs over and done with, with plenty of time before my long run and enough time after the long run to recover. Um, and I was lifting a lot lighter than what I would normally lift. Some people say you can still lift as heavy as you want. I personally just didn't have those goals in mind. And I just would rather lift lighter and not be as sore. Um, and then I would do upper body with, I, I, I would either pair it with my recovery run on Wednesday or my, I have like a medium long run on Thursdays. And then full body I would do on Sundays with my recovery run. And the full body was usually like a body weight, nice and slow. Um, so I, I really catered my strength to maybe not the typical strength, but I catered it to what felt good and comfortable during my training. And then as, as I got further into training, I ended up doing two days a week of strength. I would usually do like upper and lower or both full body days. And I, I truly think that those they, they don't seem like much, right? If you're thinking, oh, she's adding in a body weight, full body day, but they truly really helped. And I think with balance and just feeling strong in my upper body and having everything, you know, it's all connected. So, um, and you were strong from the beginning. Like you, you came into this as a strong person who lifts, lifts often. So you know, doing this kind of maintenance work, so to speak, I mean, maybe there's other ways to phrase it, but um, I think it's so important because, you know, as anyone who's going through these, especially like a college athlete knows this so well, is that you go through your season and if you're not doing that maintenance lifting, like you may be really fit by the end of the year, but your body type has changed. And you can see this with the NFL. Like I, I was listening to, I forget what it was, some, some sort of NFL podcast. It was a defensive lineman talking about it. And he was joking about one of the other guys. He's like, yeah. He's like, well, that guy weighs 250 now. And you're like, wait, hold on, what? And the, the host like asked him. It was so, so grateful that the host like dug into it. He's like, yeah. He's like, that guy might weigh 275, three, you know, 285 in camp. But that guy is losing weight by the pound Every oh day gosh. during the season, by the end of the year, that guy's weighing 250. And it's like, and this is a an extreme example, but us as runners, this can happen quite often. And also you have like the injury prevention stuff where like, it doesn't take a lot of extra time as long as you don't have some reoccurring injuries that you have to deal with to just maintain like the hip and glute and leg strength and mobility that allows you to not have the kind of reoccurring injuries that can pop up. Totally. Well, and even too, like just your core strength as a runner is so important. And even your upper body, like there's just, there's so many things that training can do for you. And yes, it's more time out of your schedule. Maybe it's a hassle. Maybe you're tired. You don't want to do it, but it's only going to benefit you as a runner. And just think about like just the momentum that your body has and all the strain that you're putting on your legs. If you have no muscle there to help you, it's, it's not going to be as good as you hope. So it's, it's worth it. Do, do the strength workouts, <laughs> even if they don't seem like, you know, the best thing for you. They, they truly are. I couldn't agree more. I fall, I fall on both sides of that. I'm someone who completely agrees with everything you said. And I'm also someone who procrastinates to do it. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how I can be in both camps, but somehow I am. I, but I am too. There were weeks during my training where I didn't do a single strength workout. And that's, it's okay because your runs, you need to get the runs done. But you need to also really consider prioritizing the strength as well. Nicole, you rock. Congratulations on an unbelievable uh, first marathon so cycle. Not just the race itself, but the whole cycle, because that's the most important part is those those months and months that you put into it. It's, it really is amazing, especially if you, you know, then you start, you know, combining these, you know, one marathon cycle after another. And that's when the huge gains aerobically can happen. It's so great to hear from you. If someone wants to learn more about you and everything you're doing, where can they go? 
Yes, you can find me at Nicole M. Rausch. It's R-A-U-C-H um, on Instagram. I'm also at Nicole M. Runs. So you get a little bit of running on the, the one account and then more fitness and full workouts on the other. Uh, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, Matt, I can't thank you enough for having me. It was so fun to chat with you. And I appreciate everyone who's listening. Thank you. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. So much fun. Also, big shout out to Eugene Marathon. Go check that out today. If you haven't chosen a marathon yet or, you know, with the half marathon, that's the thing. So you could be listening to this the week of the race. Sign up for the half marathon. You know, if you're if you're putting in consistent long runs, doing a half marathon is something that you can do. You know, pretty spontaneously um, because your long runs are probably pretty close to that in terms of time on feet anyway. So uh, I would love to see you there. We're going to be doing a whole bunch of live shows, stuff we're going to announce probably a month, month and a half from now. But needless to say, it's going to be awesome. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.